It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 88, The Battle of Gilboa. Sticking with our current battlefield gnarliness in this episode, here's another disclaimer if there's little ones listening to this episode. In this episode, we'll be discussing the final actions of many, including Israel's first king and some of its heroes like Jonathan. Also in this episode, we discuss what happens after the Battle of Gilboa and the mysterious absence of Abner, Saul's military commander, from the biblical account of the battle. Last we left off Saul, he went to talk to Samuel through the witch of Endor. We learned he went with two of his most trusted men. One of them most likely was Abner, his military commander, the same commander that was with him when David could have killed Saul in the night scene in Judah. This was the same Abner that David bantered with for not protecting Saul as well. Here's a bit more on Abner. He's also the uncle of Saul, and according to Jewish tradition, Abner was the son of the witch of Endor. Jewish tradition also declares him a serious warrior and very competent soldier. But we'll see in this episode that Abner also is a survivor. The biblical account of Gilboa leaves out Abner, which I find very curious indeed. This is probably because we get only get an overall picture of the battle and the outcome of it, and we learn who wins and who dies. But we believe Abner was present in the battle and a survivor of it, but the survivor part was by his own design. If Abner was present at the scene with the Witch of Endor, or if he knew of Saul's inevitable death and the loss of the army of Israel, Abner knows the outcome and his plans would have reflected it because he wasn't the kind of guy who fought for king and glory. No, he was a survivor. Why would he die with Saul? What could he do? What was in his hands? The control of the army. Could it be Abner set aside and arrayed Israel's forces such that escape would be possible and that he would be able to get away quickly? We can piece all this together if his mother was the witch of Endor, he knew the outcome, and we can logically imply that this is what happened because of the outcome. And in addition, later we find out that Abner has no problem leaving Ishbosheth when the time is right in the future when it benefits him most. So propelled by witchcraft and fear and self-interest, Abner arrays Israel's forces to maximize his personal position after the battle and we can assume from this perspective, he convinces a lesser-known son of Saul and one of dubious character, Ishbosheth, to go along with him. All right, enough of Abner for a while. The Philistines mass for war. It appears Saul goes to Geboa. From the looks of things, he wants to mimic the Deborah and Barak strategy and lure the high on mobility Philistine force of chariots and horsemen into the mountains where their strengths are nullified. But we all know God has left Saul, and unlike Barak, who received a prophetic word of triumph, it was Saul who received a prophetic word of judgment through a witch. 
With David gone and out of the country, literally, we have the absence of God symbolized. Saul is left to his own devices, abandoned by God, and unfortunately, the army of Israel was with them and would go down with them. And if we can draw from the account of Saul after his encounter with the witch of Endor, he was in a pathetic state, hardly capable of leading men. The organization of the army was in the hands of the captains of the army, and the orders were probably very slow in coming. There was probably very little encouragement or famous speeches to inspire the men as a fatalistic attitude hovered over the men. The morale of Israel must have been at an all-time low, seeing the overwhelming odds against them, for it never says Saul stirred up the people like he used to, for fear it consumed their leader, and we can't forget that Saul is demonized and personally tormented as well. I doubt the secret of his visit to the witch of Endor was kept a secret, and rumors spread and the fear of law spread through the men, and their mouths betrayed their lack of confidence when the Philistines began to march towards him. The cursed final battle of Saul begins. Josephus's account is pretty detailed, so we're going to go with it until we get to the death of Saul. Now upon the Philistines joining battle, there followed a sharp engagement, and the Philistines became the conquerors and slew a great number of their enemies. But Saul, the king of Israel, and his sons fought courageously and with the utmost alacrity, as knowing their entire glory lay in nothing else but dying honorably and exposing themselves to the utmost danger from the enemy, for they had nothing else to hope for. So they brought upon themselves the whole power of the enemy till they were encompassed round and slain, but not before they had killed many of the Philistines. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan and Abinadab and Machashua, and when they were slain and the multitude of the Hebrews were put to flight, all was in disorder and confusion and slaughter upon the Philistines pressing in upon them. But Saul himself fled, having a strong body of soldiers around him, and upon the Philistines sending after them those that drew javelins and shot arrows, he lost all of his company except a few. And as for himself, he fought with great bravery, and when he had received so many wounds that he was not able to bear up nor to oppose any longer, and yet was not able to kill himself. I mean, that's pretty gnarly. Israel's army falls back, but it appears Saul and his sons charge with all they have against the Philistines until they are surrounded. Jonathan falls in the battle. His brothers fall. Most likely Saul withdraws with this professional corps of 3,000 soldiers further up the mountaintop. But the Philistine archers and spearmen cut down Saul's forces, and Saul is so wounded he can't even fight back anymore. He's pretty much totally disabled and incapable of fighting. The end is near. Here is the end of Saul, according to the Bible. 1 Samuel 31.3 The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his own sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor-bearer and his men died together the same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw the Israelite army had fled, and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled, and the Philistines came and occupied them. At this point, the fighting stops and darkness closes in for the night. 
What we learn later is that at night, battlefield human scavengers come up and steal from the dead bodies on the field. One of these opportunists, an Amalekite, is busy stripping the dead of anything valuable when he trips upon Saul and takes whatever valuables were upon him, including his crown. This Amalekite, thinking he would get a great reward, travels very far south to see David, hoping to gain wealth and a fortune for taking the crown of Israel and keeping it from the Philistines. As this opportunist, Amalekite, travels south to Ziglag, the next morning the Philistines came to strip the dead on the battlefield, and they find Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. 1 Samuel 31, 9 They cut off his head and strip off his armor, and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of the Ashtros and fashioned his body to the wall of Belshan. And when the people of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done, all their valiant men marched through the night to Bethshan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Bethshan and went to Jabesh where they burned them. Then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. Seems strange that these men from Jabesh-Gilead would do this, right? Well, this is the old men and children of the men that were saved in Saul's first military action. These men from Jabesh-Gilead would have been blinded in one eye and slaves of Nahash the Ammonite if Saul didn't rescue them long ago at the beginning of his reign. This dishonor to their Savior was too much. Honor must be paid to the one who saved the generation of Jabesh-Gilead. Amazing how the men of Jabesh-Gilead even paid their debt of honor to Saul when he was dead. What heroes these guys were to march overland overnight just to recover the body of Saul. They even went directly to the Philistine cities and into their temple to recover his body. Amazing bravery by these men, and even more amazing that they pulled it off. When the news reached Gibeah and Saul's palace, the people panicked, assuming the Philistines would soon conquer all of Israel. A nurse with no name, given in the Bible, grabbed Jonathan's son and ran out of the palace, and she, in her haste, stumbled and fell down, dropping the five-year-old boy, most likely off of stairs or some height, permanently disabling him. His name was Mephibosheth. And this disabled son of the prince will come back around in our story. Meanwhile, even as the men of Jabesh are venturing back from taking Saul's body, an Amalekite comes into David's camp. This opportunistic Amalekite lies to David and tells him, He, as an act of mercy, killed Saul in his final hours upon request, showing David the crown. As a shock to the Amalekite, David tears his clothes and mourns for the loss of Israel's army and the great men of Israel and King Saul and Jonathan and the price of ransom that the Amalekite received for committing this so-called act of mercy killing is this, 2 Samuel 1.15. Then David called one of his men and said, Go, strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. For David had said to him, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. Just guessing, Abishai was the man there to take care of this Amalekite. Amazing how this will happen again and again through history. How a great king with the gift of mercy is tempted into rewarding the self-seekers who murder or pretend to murder the previous king 
and instead justice falls upon their own heads. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, let's consider the fulfillment of prophecy and how what goes around comes around now that Saul is dead. Every action he did as a king came with the follow-up blessing or curse. His actions will clearly and very distinctly be defined for future generations. His first battle, which could be described as military genius, was a crazy, divinely inspired encounter where he tore up an ox and threatened his people, which mobilized hundreds of thousands to fight against Nahash the Ammonite and save Jabesh Gilead. For more on this in the entire account of King Saul versus King Nahash the Ammonite, you can listen back on episode 65. And when Saul saved the city and the people of Jabesh Gilead, he opened up a blessing upon himself. In turn, when Saul was disgraced and not given a proper burial, this was an affront to the men of Jabesh Gilead that they conducted a night march to redeem the body and dignity of the first king of Israel. This was a blessing of great honor, for Saul saved their honor and identity when they were about to be partially blinded and enslaved, and they in turn saved the honor of the king. What a picture of generational blessings and legacy of honor being returned even after one's death. On the other hand, when Saul turned God's judgment into a time of personal vainglory, the anointing was lifted off of Saul because he couldn't destroy the Amalekites. So at the end of Saul's life, it was not a Philistine or even David who lifted the crown from Saul's head, but an Amalekite. Only God could have orchestrated this scene to confirm and fulfill his word that the crown would pass from Saul to David and it was carried and given to him by an Amalekite. What goes around comes around, Saul. It's such a wake-up call that my little decisions in my life can impact those around me and far beyond future generations. May the fear of the Lord rest upon us as we walk in this life to keep from awful mistakes that impact those around us. And may the fear of the Lord rest upon the listeners and keep us from sin so that we do not misstep and curse those that come after us but instead bring blessing and the favor of God to those who are near and those who are far off. So we end an era with the death of Saul. Soon David and Solomon will be taking Israel to its highest points. David will fight many more battles, but afterward our story will settle into the story of the kings and prophets. Josephus's Antiquities of the Jews, a 20-book set, we just completed the seventh book with Saul's death. The biblical record of 1 Samuel is done, and we move on to 2 Samuel and the kingship of David. Israel's first king is dead. Only David could have penned the honorable words to commemorate Saul and Jonathan after their death. We end this episode with David's mournful lament after Gilboa. 2 Samuel 1.17 David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow as is written in the book of Jasher. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel, how the mighty have fallen. Let it not be told in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. Mountains of Gilboa, may you neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terrace fields, for there the shield of the mighty has despised, the shield of Saul, no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return satisfied. 
Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war have perished. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as we discuss the fulfillment of prophecy and the crowning of King David in the south and the crowning of Ishbosheth in the north. Feel free to visit the website messagetokings.com and leave a comment or question. Or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com. <laughs>